this one was pretty tricky. On the second night, I went to sleep. And when I was asleep, I was dreaming. And the dream I was having was this, like, a, a clear, like, piece of glass, square like that, had a picture, a shoulder up picture of a woman, and with these little things pointing at all impertinent information about her. Yeah? It was like it just popped up, and then another popped up, and then thousands of, quote-unquote, like a, a thumbnail description of a, that human showed up. Thousands. I was laying there, just seeing it. But it was, the first one was a woman with brownish hair. started here, and you know, they had the little lines, and they have a, a paragraph there about her, you know, little synopsis of her story. And then thousands of them showed up, thousands and thousands. And then I woke up, yeah, because you had to get up at 4.30, this retreat. I woke up probably around 3.30, and it was still going on. It went on for like 45 minutes while I was awake, yeah, just watching thousands and thousands and thousands of these files pop up about people. So I couldn't share, you know, can't speak at this thing, so I just okay, went about my day, meditating like 12 hours a day, you know. And then the next night, that next night I went to sleep. And I was sleeping again, and suddenly I started having a dream where I was uh, hovering above a piece of landscape. Yeah? And then suddenly a pit appeared, and then a foundation, and then a house, and then a lawn, and then a picket fence, and the people walked out. And this whole development occurred. I watched it from the, like a high above. And it just kept going. Like This whole place got populated out of just virgin land. And then I wake up, and it's still going on for another 40-something minutes. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. So I'm meditating all day. Then I go back to sleep the fourth night, and <laughs> I'm, I'm dreaming, and I'm dreaming like a, a, like a sports, a world sports channel. And there was like a... Uh, there were ab- aboriginal dwarfs, or pygmies, you know? You know, small people. But they were aboriginal, and this lady had run like a hundred meter race and she had won and she had the gold medal and some other dwarfs were carrying her. And it was like a big thing. And then I woke up and this thing kept going on for another like 40 minutes. And I got up to the meditation again. And the fifth night I go to sleep and <laughs> I start seeing this movie set in New York near like Central Park West with one of those archways, almost like you see in Washington Square. And, and it was about a murder. And there was these women with elegant gowns on. They looked great, but when you got close to them, they were decrepit. They were very old and a lot of lines. And then it shot into this really nice, like, penthouse type of scene with a big dinner engagement. And then back to the street when one of them got murdered and the police were there. And I woke up and it went on again, like 40 minutes, the movie. As I was seeing it, I woke up and it was still happening. This went on, and then, next, then it stopped. I had like four nights of that. And I had four more days, and the meditation was doing that. By the time I came, it was over, and we sat down to eat, I started to share it with some people. <laughs> it didn't really go over well, you know what I mean? I don't know. They were like moved a little bit farther away from me. But it was just one of those things. It didn't mean anything, but it was an interesting little event. Four or five in a row. And then it stopped, and I didn't have them again. But I had, it was like lucid dreaming, but I never had lucid dreaming like that where I was wide awake, laying there. I mean, I saw the bed and the place, and I could hear the guy sleeping, and I could see the lights starting to come on, but the same movie was going on. So, these are 
all streams of mind. Yeah? Most of us are looking at life from a very small spectrum called self-centeredness. It's like wearing giant uh, things those horses wear. And, yes, and, and even your spectrum of seeing light is very small and hearing, and incredible. So you're in this little funnel where maybe, like, say, five streams of energy are being dreamt over, which is they're appearing as they appear based on conditioning and memory and everything. Yeah? But there's thousands of other streams that can be contacted because you're not a singular physical appearance dreaming. There's just dreaming. Yeah? Mind's dreaming. And the mind's dreaming isn't defined by just five like streams of, of information. It can broad, 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 broad. You can open up to a whole other modality. Because this modality we're seemingly seeing life from and as is self-centeredness. So in that modality, everything is seen as if as it pertains to you. And the you gives everything that's seen the meaning it has. Not you. You don't give it the meaning. The you, which is the center of self-centeredness, gives everything the meaning it has. And all those meanings are seen as how they pertain to you as a self. It's a very small system. And even when there's insertions of miracles and this and that, the system, it's just like a minor hiccup to the system. The system will forget a miracle in an hour or two, really. It'll say, oh, that really didn't happen. It can't be proven this way, that. But it will fester over a seeming slate for 30 years. And its interpretation, when it's thinking something is really good, it gets worried that it's going to last pretty quickly. Or it starts downing its deserving it, or, or immediately diminishing the, the length of goodness in time. And yet, the same head, if it's going bad, it elongates it over time. It says, I'm, I'm entering a lifelong depression. I knew it. I've been waiting for this day. I knew it was coming my whole life. It's just all made up. All made up. Even at the last moment, when people are laying there and they're dying, and then their head tells them, you wasted your whole life. And then they believe that and they have the exquisite experience of suffering a wasted life at the moment of death was all made up. That was not an unbiased, objective view of that life. In other words, the selfing is still selfing. It can be still selfing at the last moment of its life, yeah, of being you. And it can pass a judgment that if you believe will produce such an incredible sense of suffering, yes, or guilt, that if you believed in reincarnation or karma, basically the same stream is going to manifest again as a dream. Yeah. With you seemingly at the brunt of all that, all the meaning that had gave you and gave life. So this isn't about going over every little bit of effect it's about looking, because every, let's say, problem depends on the axis of the one who has the problem. So if you have ten problems for the week, maybe you think that's a successful week. Maybe, maybe you have forty problems, it's not a successful week. But in fact, if, if you look at all the time you seem to have been here, maybe you've had thousands of problems. But there's only been one you that had them all. 
to investigate every, every one of the thousand problems and to see the pattern, you're missing the biggest pattern, the one who's having all the problems. <laughs> you're missing that completely. Yes? <laughs> you see, oh, I see. I see I have problems in my personal relationships. No! <laughs> the, the biggest problem is identification as what you're not. And when that is in place, it lends its nature of being a problem to things that it gives meaning to. Yes? It lends its, its wealth of, of, of a problem to things that it comes in contact with in a way to disguise what is really the source of quote-unquote all problems, which isn't a life imposing its will on you, but the sense of being a you. And if you look at it, one day is like studying 30 years. You don't need to study 30 years. See one day. Look at one day and the principle and the pattern that's just repeating itself over and over and over again is revealed there. Just like in nature they call self-replicating. So if you take a little uh, fern, one leaf of a fern, it looks just like the whole fern, but smaller. If you take a twig, yeah, the twig is a smaller version of a branch. The branch is a smaller version of the trunk. Yes, It goes on and on and on and on and on. It's all different sizes and degrees and lengths, but the same thing's happening all fucking time. So self is replicating itself. So there's big problems and little problems, but inherently they're problems. Because there's something that aggravates you. Because you have an idea it could be different than the way it's appearing. And that's what's driving you crazy. Not how it's appearing, but the belief it could be different, yet not doing anything about it, just thinking about it. The beauty when I was a kid is I didn't entertain any options. I really did not, when I was three years old, four years old, walk around the house and start measuring the room. And I think this is too small for me, this room. I don't like it. I want to have the bed face north. It's very good feng shui and not face south. And mom, you're looking pretty ugly and big, man. Let's get some plastic surgery. You're embarrassing me when you take me to you know, teacher's meeting and stuff. And dad, come on. You've got to make some more cash, man. Okay, I, should, I deserve a freaking country club. Whatever am I sitting here going to public school? No! It was just, this is the house I live in. <laughs> that was that. I didn't start going, but I shouldn't be living in this house. I, no, that was the house I live in. These were my family, my brothers and sisters. Later on I questioned them, but not when I was that age. And that was a freedom, because my mind hadn't entertained that it could be different yet. And therefore, it, it, it didn't have to entertain being in the moment. At that point, there was no being out of the moment. There was no what we call being out of the moment. With most of us, that's what our mind is telling us, our basic state is I'm out of the moment all the time. That never occurred to me when I was three years old. I didn't, wasn't looking at, you know, that magazine Common Ground here with the 800 different workshops and 700. I was not studying Common Ground. I wasn't doing meditation. I was meditating back then when you were a kid. There was a sense of meditation, meditation, but it wasn't you doing it. Yeah, there was the state of what you are. It's a constant meditation because seeing is constantly seeing. And I believe, I didn't come from an abusive situation. I believe, like, in a sense, Jesus Christ would always point out in the New Testament, 
You have to become like a child. Not childish, but childlike. Yeah? You need to become like a child. What was, what's the difference between a child and an adult? For me, at a point, there was no introspection when I was a kid. I wasn't, when I was playing, I really wasn't thinking, should I be playing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Should I be playing with these army men? Is this not good? No, it was just playing. Yeah, just playing. There was an immediacy. There was none of that living in the aquarium of mental realm yet. Yes? It wasn't like that disengagement, because that's why alcoholism and self-centeredness creates an isolation. Because that when you were a kid, you, you sensed being a part of, and then you started feeling apart from. Yeah. And then that becomes the basic state all the interpretations are coming from, being apart from. Yeah. And then you want to belong, but then you have a judgment about every freaking thing you meet, which offers you a sense of belonging. Oh, I don't like this group. I don't like AA. They're freaking crazy. But you're dying. You need us. That's one of the biggest things that happened when I got into recovery. I had no idea, but over time I realized I have a sense of belonging, fulfilled finally. Yeah? I felt a fulfillment. And that fulfillment would, gives you like flesh and blood. Your sense of okayness has some weight. Yeah? You're like anchored in the reality of what's happening instead of the fantasy of what's not happening, which is where the mind lives. And the mind appears as you in what's not happening. It talks from the idea of being you. It talks about the idea of being you. If you think about yourself in the past, it's always about a body. When you're thinking about what's going to happen to me in the future, it's always about a body because the mental system can't think of you any other way. It thinks of you as a form. And then you can say, I'm a spirit in a body. But that's also implying a body as primary. Because if you were a spirit, you wouldn't even say you were in a body. You would say the body's in spirit. But then again, we feel like we're in a body as if the body is the primary thing. No, in a sense, the body is in spirit. The body is in appearance in spirit. But we immediately lift up the appearance over the context. So now, I'm a spirit in a body. This selfing, and it's always going to attempt to self-replicate. So every time, how it does it is whatever happens, seemingly to you, it claims it. That's what it does. When it recognized consciousness, it said, I'm conscious. That's what occurred. We practice, some people practice self-inquiry. The mind beats you to it way before you ever even thought about that as a spiritual practice. It asked itself, who am I? And it said, it gave its own answer. I am a body. I'm Paul. I'm from Mrs. Mary and Daniel Eddington. I'm Irish Catholic and all these things. This is what makes me who I am. No. That's what makes me what I appear to be. But it doesn't make me who I am. What I am is what notices the appearances. You may not notice your appearance, but you definitely notice other appearances. I know you from this point of view is as a body. 
That's how I recognize you. I see you in form. And that's a pure projection, just like I always talk about that guy dying, my Uncle Fred. But it's such an incredible, clear statement for me. You know, I had this Uncle Fred when I was young, and he used to always give me money at the birthday parties and relative parties. He basically bought me off. It was nice. I was willing to be bought. I was a prostitute back then. You know? Yeah, sure. Like the Uncle Fred, kicked down a couple bucks. So uh, then he passed away. So my mother took me to a funeral, and they have an open casket funeral, you know, Catholic. So I'm nine years old. My mother said, hey, you want to say goodbye to Uncle Fred? And I may not have been that excited about that idea, but I walked up. She had me by the hand, and I looked in, and, they, you know, they have them all. And I looked at him, and I had a very distinct hit. That is an Uncle Fred. It was as clear as clear as it could be. Yeah. That's just not Uncle Fred. And how did I particularly take that body to be Uncle Fred? Because I was taking this body to be Paul. When I see you, it's just a projection of what I believe myself to be. The only difference between me seeing you and me seeing this you is I'm identified with this you, so I call it me. It's the only difference. This is a you that I'm calling me. I call you, that you, Deb. I call that you, Cindy. And I call that you, James. This you, I call me. So when you ask, well, who is it that's seeing right now? Well, I am. That sounds pretty good. It's a very good description of what's happening. I am seeing. Then you ask, all right, who's this I? The next answer will be me. That's the mental process. The I is what's seeing. The eye looking through you is the same eye that's looking through me. And the act of seeing is provided by that eye. It's what's seeing. Your eye is definitely not seeing, because if you were dead, that eye, though perfect, all the lenses shiny and clear, would not see a damn thing ever. So obviously it's not the body that's seeing. It's something that, let's say in spirituality, they call the eye or some they call it the I-I. And we're telling the truth every time, every moment of the day. There's a sense that cannot be disputed of, of an oneness. Yeah? We all know there's an I here. It's just the mind calls it a me. And that me represents its idea of a you, a body. Yeah? So the I is always seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. Every moment of conscious contact is brought to you, not by you, nor the other person, but by consciousness. So there's the consciousness, seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, seeing thoughts like an eye sees a bird, it sees thoughts. Those are called mental objects. So So something is seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. The mental reaction to that consciousness goes, claims it, that's all it does. It claims it, and it's been in such a habit of it, you don't see it. You actually think you start after that claiming. Very rarely do we question that claiming and look beyond that claiming to what was claimed. Yeah? We take the claiming to be the truth. So now the I, which is seeing, that's the fact of living here, and we all sense this feeling of oddness, don't we? We're alive. We just give that sense of being alive a name and a form, the mind does. The mind gives this sense of being alive 
the name of Paul in the form of this, of a body. Yeah? And so if there's a reliance on what we call self, which is a mental system, yeah, it's called self-centeredness, it's a mental system of interpretation and thought. Yeah? So the system called self-centeredness, if we have fallen asleep and we're relying on that system for one of the most basic bits, bits of information, which is who am I, yes? Then after we swallow that lie, which I am this, therefore as soon as we swallow that lie, as soon as we forget our nature, which is constantly being revealed, as long as you're on, and yet every moment of the imitation can be unseen when you're looking for it as a you. <laughs> it's incredible, really. So, here's the seeing, but that's been claimed. Yes? The mental process decided, here's the, here's the appearance of you, the brain producing this mental process, yes? Making up a self and a body form, yeah? Here's the appearance of you, and obviously something is seeing the appearance. Even when you look at yourself, you see yourself like a you, right? don't you? You look at the body. But now, the mental process goes, wait a minute, let's stop this little thing, and it, it moves behind the consciousness, yes? Claims it, and now it lives as, it now claims what's always so, and let's say none without a first, or pure subjectivity, it claims it as a verb that it's doing. I, Paul, am now being conscious today, and based on what I did this morning, I meditated, I had my quinoa and my, you know, 16 ounces of carrot, celery, kelp, uh, beet juice, and I did my little service today, and therefore my consciousness is expanding. But that consciousness that's expanding is based on you, by what you did. Yes? So if that consciousness is expanding based on what you did, the consciousness will also deflate based on what you don't do or what you do. Yes? This is what we call in recovery playing God. Yeah? How the mind in selfing plays God. So it takes the, the raw data or the raw movement or the beingness of this place, if you want to call that God, it claims the beingness and now you're the being Paul is the being. <laughs> and now the nature of that being, which is consciousness, now becomes an effect that you produce or don't produce. I've done all these things. I've really become a very conscious person. And then if you act out one night and look at porno, you did all those years of becoming very conscious, it's washed away like that. Why? Because something, some God passes judgment, and that God is of the self. It tells you how close you are to the truth, doesn't it? Of course it does, because you are the truth. What you are doesn't need any information about itself. It's what you are. It's realizing I'm not that is the act of being what you are. Yeah. In other words, what you were taking yourself to be gets put in its proper place Yes? As following the consciousness. First of all, there's no time, but in this picture. And the consciousness is what's seen through this camera lens. Yes? Through this incredible camera with a computer chip so we can hear, see, feel, taste, touch, contemplate. 
it actually can reflect what's happening. It has the ability to reflect the mind. Yes? But the mind right now, being identified, that's cool, eh? it's trying to talk to us. Yeah? Giants won the World Series. <laughs> the San Francisco just went into an epiphany. It'll be claimed by in an hour, and they'll all be in probably 850 Bryant in jail, <laughs> fucking drunk as skunks. We did it. I used to love that. I remember I used to. I went to a football game, the New York Giants, yeah, against San Francisco 49ers. The only game I ever went to, and the, I'm a, from New York, and the San Francisco 49ers were a great team there. And as soon as it started, they were killing the Giants. And I had a New York Yankee hat on, and all the people were staring at me, going, "Look at what we're doing to you! Look at what we're doing to you!" And I'm going, "What?" I said, "Hey, are you getting a check from the 49ers?" Well, then it's not we. <laughs> You're not doing a damn thing to me. The 49ers are kicking the Giants' ass. You're not kicking my ass, though. Probably they could have. Yes. But you see the claiming? This is what happens. This is exactly the main movement of mind in the conditional mind. It claims. So it's claimed the it's claimed the ever constant evidence of what you are, which is consciousness, which is seeing, and it has taken itself to be what's conscious. And as soon as it takes consciousness and makes it an attribute that a false noun has. Then consciousness now is determined by a dualistic interpretation. It can be conscious or unconscious. Voila. Yet, the raw data is all there is is consciousness. But when the data is claimed and then hijacked and interpreted, consciousness will not be seen as an original nature. It will be, be seen as an effect that you cause by what you do and don't do. This is like the ultimate of playing God. You're playing God with what you would call God. The mind is taught making God an attribute that will be based on what you would do or don't do instead of an ever-present obviousness of what's so prior to whatever freaking appears. And that, to me, is the only solution that works because if you do believe you achieve something, you will definitely believe you can lose it. That's how dualistic a split mind works. I did something to get it, I could do something to lose it. That's not peace. Peace is not conditional or circumstantial. Peace is prior to that kind of understanding. Peace is an ever-present, all the time, because of no time, invitation or opportunity. But not to you. For me, what happened with me is I saw I was not that, and then what I was was became obvious. It didn't become what I was; it had always been what I am. But it became obvious that that's what I was because I'm not this. I don't think you have to take it any farther. It's not like I realize I'm not this, and then I turn around as not this, and now stop looking for what I am. 
<laughs> That's the dilemma by taking yourself to be this. You're actually looking for what you are. But if I'm not that, it cuts the whole dualistic interpretive system in half. I'm not that. That's what I am. The seeing that's demonstrated in recognizing I'm not that is what I am. And that seeing is not something that was produced by me recognizing I'm not that, because that me was recognized as I'm what I'm not. Yeah? In other words, it has nothing to do with you. It's not an effect that's happening to you, and it's not an effect that was caused by you. It is prior to all of your little cause and effect ideas. That's the only solution that's worth its salt. It's a solution without a problem, as its opposite. Yes? But how you arrive there is you realize the problem is, an imag is imaginary, that's the solution. It's not like I found a solution that finally worked on this really incredibly cumbersome problem. You realize there is no problem, that's the solution. What would you need to do to an imaginary problem? Nothing. All you need is to recognize that it's imaginary. There's nothing you need to do. Any application after that is the problem. There you go, doing and having again. You just recognize I'm not that, and that's that. But, what, but, 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 don't I have some, you have nothing to do with it. That's when you, as the ball is put down, not you put the ball down, you, as the ball is put down. <laughs> and then the game goes on wonderfully. <laughs> but see, isn't it the shape of the ball that defines the game? So now it's shaped like a football or a baseball. That's taken out of the whole equation. There's no definition to this game. It's a never-ending game. It's constantly streaming and information and verbing and verbing and verbing. And there's no noun to be found. That was all a mental reaction to the vast mystery of what's going on here. Your mind always wants to know, doesn't it? It feels secure if it knows. Even if it's totally made up, at least you have something to know about a situation. So you just can't take it as, I have no fucking clue what's going on. Well, I think the reason why I didn't get in the car today and it broke down is because I probably was going to have a big accident on the freeway. Sounds great, and if it helps you, the you, far out. These are all little tricks. But the real idea is you're totally irrelevant, in a sense. It's such a freedom. You're totally irrelevant. And the mind will attempt to keep appearing as authentic. It will keep trying to claim its absence. I'm telling you, I've seen it. The absence, it will arise and try to claim it as, oh, I'm experiencing my own absence. No, it never fucking experienced anything. And it's definitely not its own absence. It just wants to be relevant. So there it is. Haven't you seen it with an epiphany and stuff? When you've had an epiphany, isn't it weird that the usually end of the epiphany coincides with a simple thought or a stream of thoughts going, I just had this incredible epiphany. <laughs> as soon as the thought goes, and you believe it, the epiphany ends. As soon as you show up, the you you're not, the epiphany seems to vanish. And what you're left with is it claiming, yes, it claiming its own absence as an experience. The self was not there. That's why the epiphany was dominating. Yes? 
The self arises in the mind, it claims it, and there goes the epiphany. But the self wasn't there for its own absence, and you cannot experience your own absence. You cannot experience your own absence. There's no you to experience the absence of you. That's the presence. The sense of presence people talk about is your absence as a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. Your absence is the presence. You never, ever, ever have an experience of presence. That's an interpretation of your own absence when the self arises again. It's fast, you have It'll be, to it's totally, it's always absent, first of all. But there are some moments in this linear story where it's plain as anything that it's absent. And that's when it really arises up and claims it. And when it claims it, it has a sense that it was there before the epiphany. It has the feeling of being historical. It's a, it's a trance. It's not so. The selfing rises, goes, I had this incredible epiphany. It's lasted for three hours, and I was really feeling certain things before. That's all a freaking story it just wrote at that moment. The feeling of historicalness is made up. There is no difference in this moment and a moment 30 years ago. The same underlying denominator is seen. That hasn't changed in all the different experiences that billions of us seem to have had. Not one person's ever had an experience without the denominator of awareness. Not one. If I say I had experiences when I was under the knife getting operated on, that's a total lie. I was told about what happened. Just like when you wake up in the morning and you feel like you know the room. You know where the door is, and then you go out to Shoreline Highway, and you picture the neighbors. All that's memory. You're not seeing it. Your mind is setting you up, formulating the box, that sense of, I know, this is where I live, this is who I am, this is my house, and that's where selfing flourishes. Watch it. This has nothing to do with you. It's the mental process. It's just kicking memories. It's almost like a Google thing, a Google map. Because, oh yes, look at me, I know where to go to the beach. All made up. It doesn't mean anything. It's not bad or good, but it's made up. And the reason why suffering is so dominant here is everything's taken way too seriously. Seriously, really. When you're here, in a sense, which we are, if you're really engaged here, I don't know, maybe it won't, maybe it won't happen to you, I don't know. But for me, memory has a very, very unimportant role now. I mean, what we call memory of, oh, let me see, let me remember the trip I was on to Hawaii. Most people need to take tons of pictures of Hawaii because they weren't really there. They have to prove it to themselves that they were there. They have to convince others, yes, was I? Yes, I was in Hawaii. But when they were in Hawaii, they were actually thinking about work. <laughs> and when they're at work, they're thinking about Hawaii. Yeah? It's all memory. Well, let me think about myself from the past. How do you do that? You just go into memory, don't you? Your attention goes down a little like, like these aisles, and you go into oh, childhood. 
And you know what? Those files are being edited and revised all the fucking time. There's no reality to them. So then, if this is identification is what you're not, what happens? Then the mind, reflecting this as being real, sees false evidence produced by the mental process and it appears real to it. It's been fooled. It's ignorant now of its own nature. It doesn't know really the difference between false and true. I mean, true, false, and true, true, true. It may, may know a little moralistic true and false here. So everything that's appearing in it is false evidence. And if false evidence, what would you need to do to combat false evidence? Just recognize it's false, right? I mean, again, there's nothing to do, just a recognition. Hey, this isn't happening. What more do you need to do? Do I need to go to a therapist that specializes in what's not happening? Oh, let me go over what's not happening. All right, yes, I'm very good about Fridays a year from now. All right, that's when I have my most trouble. That's when I'm always fucked. I always have cancer on a Friday that's not happening. All right, how much do you charge? I don't know, 200 bucks an hour. Okay, let's go. Now, tell me what's not happening. All right, well, what's not happening is I'm going to be destitute next week. All right, let's, <laughs> here's some pills to take. So now he gives me a pill to get relief from the effects of what's not happening. Now, that pill produces an effect now, and I become addicted to that pill. Yes? Now I have a problem that rose from my solution to what's not happening. But this problem seems real because now I'm an addict. I've got to have this Oxycontin because every day I feel really worried about what's not going to happen. So an imaginary effect is causing me to find a real solution to it, which is a pill which causes me an addiction that ends up ruining my fucking life and I end up having to go to Delancey Street for two years and to jail because I keep buying Oxycontin down at 6th and Market and keep getting arrested for it. And when I try to tell them why I need it, they don't understand because it's not happening. What's the immunity to what's not happening? Seeing it's not happening. What more do you need to do? Really? If I do something about what's not happening, that actually gives a reality to what's not happening. Because now, what I'm doing about it is happening. Yeah? I'm taking steps to ensure what's not happening won't fuck with me, but now, that's happening. <laughs> We're just spun out. Fucking incredible. We're taking tons of medications for the effects of what's not happening. Instead of just sitting there and seeing next Friday isn't happening. It can only happen in my little porno theater. None of you are being affected by what I'm being affected by. You're in, you know, next Tuesday what's not happening. I'm in next Friday what's not happening. Yes? And when I try to share why, how I'm so fucking distressed over what's not happening, you can't see the mountains of my range because to you they're molehills because they're not happening. And I can't see the mountains of your range because they're molehills to me because they're not happening. I cannot produce your mountain ranges for you. Yeah? In other words, when I think what's not happening is next Friday, it doesn't, it, 
impose that on every one of you in this room, does it? If I'm worried I'm going to be destitute next week on Friday, do you all start having that same feeling I'm having? No, of course not. Because it's not happening. So you have an immunity to my what's not happening. And what this is can have an immunity to my what's not happening when you see it as not mine. Yes? That's all. Then that's. So what separates someone who wouldn't worry about you? So we only somebody who only knows or cares about you would worry. Someone walking down the street who doesn't know you wouldn't have an effect. No. So not it's at not all. humanity as a whole. It's it's very individualistic. Usually, in mind, you can have it as humanity as a whole, but that's a deeper ballgame. I'm talking about what's going on every day in one's head. The idea of humanity. If you don't sense the suffering of this place as a, an appearance, geez. most of us being disassociated and distracted by all these inane things is just not to sense that because it's a very deep thing. Yeah. Like if you believe in self-centeredness, this is the whole basis, in my view, of the Course in Miracles. Is they say, let's say if you believe in self-centeredness, I'll give you an example of it. Hey, bro. When I was younger, again, my father got really ill when I was six. And he stopped playing with me. Huh? He used to play baseball with me and all like that because he couldn't, he couldn't hang out with me anymore. And so when that started, that was a big shift in my life because I played a lot with my father. And then my mother sat down told me, you know, Dad's ill. That's why he can't play with you. And I never saw him at another tryout or anything. And I'm sure my older brother said the same thing and other people came over and said stuff to me. And you know, it may, maybe the doctor came over and said it, and it really, totally, totally, this has nothing to do with you, Paul, but being in the modality of self-centeredness, you have to realize everything pertains to you in self-centeredness. So in my little self-centeredness, I saw that I must have done something for my father not to want to play with me anymore. It didn't matter how many adults told me whatever they told me, the hook prior to all that, there is no hook, Paul, was I must have done something for it to be this way. Because that is the basis of all self-centeredness. That it's, 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 its largest platform is everything pertains to you. So here you are in this world, and maybe there's an old idea in your head that everything could be beautiful. That love could reign supreme. Yes? That there's an eternal God that's benevolent. And that light will always outshine the darkness. Always. Always. And good will always override bad. And yet, in your daily experience, yes, your daily interpretation, that doesn't really seem to be true, does it? It seems like a lot of shit's happening. And maybe it seems like you may have done a lot of shit to certain people. And this and that. And so here you are with an idea of how wonderful it could be. And yet, your experience it isn't. You don't think you're written into the story why that's so? You don't believe, you believe that all the examples of your own self-centeredness, you don't see it applied to this larger blueprint? That here it is, you believe everything could be great, but it isn't. You don't think you're written into having something to do with that? 
as a self? Give me a break. You are the big, big, big one. After you pointed all your fingers at everyone else, the real blame, the real guilt, prior to all the other guilt you have here, is that guilt. I must have done something to make it this shitty. I don't care how much you try to figure it out or get out of it. Most of the stuff we're dealing with isn't even what's, isn't the main imprints of what's happening here. You talk about the guilt you feel about doing these little things. There's a prior guilt that is like a giant iron ball in your, your made-up appearance right there. It's like the coagulation of an incredible mental state called responsibility for all and everything as it is. And with the idea that it could be totally different. And it isn't that way because of you. And there is no fucking escape from it in self. Identified as self. You've already been judged and convicted. You're just playing out your sentence, really. You're just totally screwed here in a lot of ways. The amount of freedom is just based on how many links on the chain there are. Maybe you can reach a little farther and get a, 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 a bigger fruit than someone else. They can, or you're just like, you're in the insane asylum, but you're closer to the door than every one of the inmates. You're thinking you're doing better. Or, you know, where you are in hell is like one degree cooler than the rest of hell. <laughs> you check it out. Self-centeredness. Everything is seen as how it pertains to you. In some weird way, you have something to do with everything. Everything. If someone yawns at a meeting, you take it personally. If someone, if you're doing a presentation and someone walks out, maybe they got a beeper and they, there's an emergency at home, but your mind doesn't go there at first. You take it. It must have been me. It must have been something I said. Something I did. You don't see that playing itself out on a much bigger scale. The principle of self-centeredness is in every bit of self-centeredness. The principle is everything will be brought back to you. Yes? Not the good usually, because the good is always bookended with bad. But this idea of separation, the cause of miracles, this is their whole point, was that you are the cause of separation. You, once knowing God, chose to split from God, with no recourse ever to know God again. That's like when I was with this guru when I was younger. <laughs> it drove me crazy, really. Because he was presented to be the Lord of the Universe by his followers. And I was like 18, 19 years old. You know, I don't want to say his name. And so I followed him for a few years. And so here it was. He's the Lord of the Universe. Now, you have tons of ideas in your little catacomb of conditioning that have nothing to do with any experience you've ever had here. I had thousands of ideas of spirituality and I'd never practiced any spirituality. But the Lord of the Universe had a big meaning in my little, my head, myself, and gave that a pretty big meaning. The Lord of the Universe was like a pretty big thing. And here I am, so there's the Lord of the Universe, and I don't like him. Now what does that make me? If I don't like the Lord of the Universe, <laughs> in self-centeredness, you're not in a good position there. Lord of the universe, have a lot of ideas, wonderful, everything, just everlasting bliss and love pouring out on everyone. Then, my experience, I don't like the fucking dude. What does that, what does that equal? I'm fucked. 
I'm going to hell. I mean, I said, I'm saying no to the Lord of the universe. That's fucking unbelievable. This is called self-centeredness. And when you identify with that center of that system, you are not escaping its effects. Because deep down, that's how you see it. With all your philosophies over it, with all your little fucking whatever you people do and you do and all these practices and everything, they're not, they're like, they're like, uh, you ever see clear finishes? No matter how many clear finishes, you still see the flaw. You still see the flaw, man. No matter how many things, all your experiences and everything like that, deep down, you're at fault in some way or another. You have to be, as a self. Why do you think it's seeking constantly? It's seeking relief from that unbearability. It's busy, 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 busy. It thinks it's in the seeking that it will get relief because it knows there's nothing to be found. Have you ever met seekers? Maybe they have. They do a great process, yet in a couple of months later they're signing up for another process. They don't let anything settle and get into it. They immediately move to the next thing. It's called seeking. It's a slavery form of slavery. You constantly can't rest. There's an impetus, a scurrying like a rat, in a sense. You may be dressed really well and may have the front seat at the meeting, but the activity is rat-like, really, if you notice it. It really is. You may be civilized and socialized, but you're starving. You're starving. This is freedom from that. If you're not a self, and all the guilt and shame that go along with everything, all the opinions by your head about what you did and didn't do can be dismissed. You can be free from that guilt and shame. Because that guilt and shame rests on the branch of personal doership. And there's no escape. If you believe you're the doer, you're going to have guilt and shame, just like you're going to have pride about certain things, but mostly the guilt and shame will like be like an undertow. Always demanding, demanding, seeking. There's no way you're going to get therapy on this branch. It's just moving from one end to the other, but you're always crowded by the guilt and shame. This is about, there's nothing for the guilt and shame to rest on. It doesn't have a Petri dish to, to thrive in. It can't grow and mutate because it's always grown and fed by the selfing. The selfing is giving meaning to everything and then also giving meaning to itself. It's called a loop of self-importance, and it's driven you fucking crazy. It produces incredible strains of neuroses and perversions here. People don't even know how, to, how they're feeling. They're out to lunch. They have to wait for the head to tell them how everything's going, by what they have or somehow. They need some basic, like, landmarks, like a car or something, to get any sense, oh, I'm okay, look, look at what I have here. I'm okay. It's just not the sense of okayness. It's got to be like a, 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 a like a paper mache statement that they get some kind of mental relief, but only for a little while. Then they always have to get more or better. Or it's not enough. Or someone else moves with another bigger paper mache, and then this paper mache doesn't do it for you anymore. Yeah. But a sense of okayness isn't a mental conviction you're okay. It's a feeling as you're living. Yeah, you have a sense of okayness. You have a sense, just like you have a sense of self, there's a sense of okayness prior to a sense of self. 
You're on. Consciousness. Consciousness that can't be touched by whatever, whatever comes to pass in time and space. It can't be afflicted with any of these dilemmas. It can't be infused with the illness of selfing. It's totally immune. Yes? And you are that way more than what you're appearing to be. Because every moment you're appearing is that. What's looking and what's the you that's looking for all day is actually what's seen. The mind just calls seeing you looking. But it's, it's what's seeing, no matter how much the interpretation is slathered on it, underneath it is that, seeing. Seeing, 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 seeing. The head's going, it's me that's looking. That's a story. So I don't know. If you're sitting here, when I do the shares, there's something, there's an authenticness in the space when this is shared. There's a feeling. It's not a feeling, there's a sense. And that sense is like an unspoken yes. It just reverberates. And if you point to this or share this with some certainty, you can sense it. And other people can sense it. It's like a gift. It's like a grace. And just like we said the other day, you can't see this, you can't smell it, you can't taste it, but you can get a sense of it by honoring it. Yeah? By honoring it, by honoring the absence of all these appearances as being really inherently existing and self. Yeah? By seeing the emptiness of this place, you can actually sense it by honoring it. You can give what doesn't have flesh and blood like substantiality in your life. Yet you'll never be able to point it to anyone. But in the honoring it, it almost gives it an outline where you can embrace. Yeah. By honoring, by honoring the absence of what used to drive you crazy. Instead of constantly honoring the phantom presence of anxiety from what's not happening but to really shine in the freedom from all that right now. That, to me, is honoring it. To me, honoring and grace are very... For grace to be sensed, honoring is involved. Okay? It's always present grace, but there's not a sense of it unless honoring. When it has made a splash in the appearances, when the tree has, has demonstrated itself by its own fruit. Like Jesus said, a good tree cannot bring forth bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bring forth good fruit. When you sense the good fruit, the honoring of that fruit is what gives you the sense of the tree. You can't see the tree, that's what he's saying or implying. You can't see the tree, but you can judge it by its fruit. So the grace of that tree, the falling grace of that tree, when honored, yeah, it almost gives the outline to that thing that can't be outlined. You can sense it almost as, as it's real and solid here by honoring it. Instead of letting it be used as the platform for selfing all day, as Buddha said, when seeing, see, when hearing, hear, when feeling, feel, when tasting, taste, when touching, touch. 
Ta'ana, the raw demonstration of consciousness here, instead of the interpretation and the claiming of it by the mental process. And you honor that by being obsessed over it all fucking day. You honor grace. <laughs> it has, you never approach grace with thought. Never. Never. Thought can't reach there. Thought's in a totally different dimension with grace. But honoring can reach grace. Honoring can meet grace. Thought will never meet grace. It just tries to put a concept of it. It can't capture grace. So if you're relying on the system, which you must be if you believe you're a self, because that's how the head has seen you all day as a body. If you're believing that, you're relying on that, you're relying on thought as your center of information. It will never pick up the presence of grace. Honoring does that. Yes? Honoring. Just like I like to use the word entertaining. You entertain this invitation. You don't think about it. You entertain it. You let it in because it's in already. You don't let anything in. That's the that's like the pantomime. Is how I let this invitation in. The invitation is in. The invitation is what you are. But then you entertain it, not as a self. Yeah. So what do you do? Well, I can't help but entertain that self. No, you can look at what's entertaining as a self is not you. That drops the entertaining is pure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just claimed by selfing. But the ability to entertain is not of self. The ability to entertain is of mind. And the selfing will claim it. And that's how it neuters everything. It neuters everything by claiming it. So you have the ability to entertain the truth because you are the truth. And the truth is, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not this, I'm not that. This can be affected by this. Appearances can affect appearances, but the appearances do not affect the space they're appearing in. If I move this chair, and I moved it over there, the only way you knew it ever was here was by memory. There's no other way. You weren't seeing it anymore, you're not feeling it, you're not tasting it, you're not touching it. Yeah? This chair, 40 years it's here. A little plane something. 40 years. This chair is like a, a fixture of this room. I've been coming to this room for 40 years, and this chair's always been in the same place. Yeah? So, all right, we're going to move this chair. So, I moved the chair. Did I have to move any space into where the chair was? Did I have to go into the space closet? You know, okay, every window look. I've got to move the space. I don't want you to see the emptiness of chair. Well, your whole mind. So, look the other way. All right, space. All right, now, see. Can see the space. Did I have to bring any space? Did the chair actually take up any space? And I wouldn't know the chair was there except by memory. Yeah? Just like when you wake up in the morning and you think you know the room you're in. It's just all memory. Yeah? So now there's no chair. Now, you would see its effects. There are probably marks on the rug yet yeah? because it's been here for 40 years. So if the chair can affect other appearances. And if it would have hit this thing and marked it, it would affect this appearance, yeah? But it can affect space. It, you cannot see any, any evidence that it was ever here, yeah? What's the difference, really, literally, what's the difference between me and the chair? I'm an appearance, yeah? If I walked out of this room, you would have never known I was here except by memory. 
absolutely no effect on space. But space is allowing me to appear. Without the space, how, where, where would my appearance show up? It needs space to show up in you. Yeah? But I don't affect the space that's actually allowing me to show up as an appearance. So who's first? Which is the egg and which is the chicken? Yeah? I would say space. Yeah? <laughs> is what allows us to appear. I would say we're that, this space, not the appearance in it. And what's looking out of your head is space. There isn't a little, what they, they call it in a homoculus or something, there isn't a little person in there looking out, you know, looking out of your, like, your two eyes are like telescopes to this little person. There is no body there, yeah? It's just seeing, isn't it? Like, if you close your eyes, is there anyone, do you see anyone in there? Is, let me see. I'm looking all around. No, you don't really see anyone, do you? That's the seeing. That's space. Yeah. So nothing is seeing through, or not seeing through. Nothing is seeing something. Yeah. But there is no something without what seeing it. So I would say nothing is the mother of something. And we are that nothing. Oh, what a beautiful news, eh? What happens to your life when it gets really fucked up? It's when you're the primary number, one, right? It's all about me. What would happen if that one got dismissed and you were a zero? You were nothing. Anything could happen. You would give up maybe the sense of wanting to know and you'd find out about things. By what? Showing up. Which is what you're going to do. You're an action figure. So you could give up the sense of mentally knowing as a, sense, a way of being secure, but just abandoning the self, not you, and then find out. Yeah. But I'm scared. Well, I'll find out. Well, that's reliance on self again. <laughs> because it's got a whole idea of what, what you're going to find out. But if you look at here, this place, we'll end with this. I'll go on. I want to give you a show, man. You came in late. I got to give you a long show. So here, even in this place, in the end, even this place, let's take this to be somewhat real. Now, how does a day get presented to you? Like a card game. Like there's a card at eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Do you get the four o'clock in the afternoon card? No. You get the eight o one, the eight o two. Yeah. And so you get dealt a day, one hit card at a time. Now your head wants to know about all the hands it's going to have. Oh, it sucks. Today's going to suck. It just pontificates about how the game is going to go. It doesn't wait for each card because it believes in I know. I know what it's going to be like. Yeah, doesn't it? Now, one way of playing the game would be finding out. And there's the other way, the mental way of playing the game, which is a game in and of itself, which is knowing. Yeah? What happens is life gets neutered by your trying to know it. And you really quite limit what you can find out. Because the mind, in its desire to know, wants to be right. 
So if it's expecting a bad fucking life for you, a lot of beautiful things are going to go unnoticed, probably. Let's say if its story is you're never going to be loved by another person, maybe a lot of people who your friends would say, that person really likes you, you won't see it. Because it's not part of your little scheme of what you think is going to happen in this life. Because why? You know. You know you don't deserve something. You know that you're guilty. You know this and that. But finding out is a whole different way of living, isn't it? Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> Just like surfing, man. You can look at the waves, but you won't know until you find out. You gotta get in there. And then you find out if it's over your head, then you get in. And if it isn't, you enjoy that life. But by sitting there, oh no, no. Let's go, shot. See, for me, it's a lot of days I don't want to go in the water. But I'll give it a shot because I know I can get back in. I mean, I'm not gonna get drowned in the first set. So I get out and I say, oh, what I didn't think I could do, I can do. Quite often, yeah. So you find out. But if you let your head just frame every one of your days, it's going to be the same old, same old. Because everything will be lived from memory. With the great, great movie prize of I know. I know how it's going to turn out. No, you fucking don't. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'm very enthused about this message. Because I'll tell you, my whole life was based 